Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, I was recently at a museum, Mm -hmm. and I saw an ex-girlfriend of mine standing across the room. I was just too afraid to go say hi to her. Yeah. There's just too much history between us. All right. I'm not going to engage with that joke because it was not good enough no, to warrant comment. Great. I agree, yeah. But I will tell you what I would have tweeted about this week. I would have tweeted about the fact that Liverpool didn't win the league, but that's okay. It's been 14 years without a major trophy, but that's okay. That's okay. okay. So you would have tweeted that. That's what I would have tweeted. Let's move on to news. It's okay. It's fine. Would you have, John, would you have tweeted a picture of yourself that you took with Snapchat that made you look like a manlier man or like not a man, like a woman? Because that's what everyone else was doing on Twitter this week. I love hearing your summaries of what happened on Twitter because it just makes me, I'm like, great. I'm glad I, uh, yeah, whatever. I'm good. Things are good. You know? Would you have tweeted at all about hair vitamins? No. (laughs) I mean, probably because I would have known so much more about that than I currently know. And the, the space that that is occupying in your brain, like yeah. I, I get to occupy with different things. In my case, mostly Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I'm happy to have you here on a podcast with me because I don't get to have you on Twitter. I miss you. I, I bet you don't. Tweet, tweet exchanges with you. Really? I mean, I, is... Do you I ever, do. you miss that? Like you, you actually think like, oh God, you know what this place is missing? One more voice. <laughs> Jeez, it, this place would, this place would be perfect uh, if they just had one more person no, expressing their I want, opinions. I want one particular person. That's very that kind can, of you. That I can chat with, I'm but we get to chat in other ways. Never. Like this. Coming back oh, to Twitter. Goodness. Ever. Well, it's a loss for humanity, John. I might go back to my sports Twitter to talk about Liverpool, but I'm never going back to real Twitter. Oh, man. 
All right, our first question comes from Nui, who asks, Dear John and Hank, I just want to congratulate John and AFC Wimbledon on the miracle they created over the past couple months. Thank you for acknowledging my role in that miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Which which was, I guess, largely to... uh, Fund apart. the acquisition of one half of one player. The stats nerds at 538.com had Wimbledon at a 95% chance to go down on their February 2nd forecast. But what have wow. statistics ever really done for us? Lots, actually. Lots, many things. What are your favorite times you've beaten the odds? Hope and feathers, Inui. P.S. I'm a statistician in real life, so feel free to make fun of me. <laughs> no, I love stats. I love, I love, st- stati- I love statisticians. Oh, we need to be able to make educated guesses, and the more educated our guesses get, the better off we are. But there are times when we overcome the odds. Hank, what is an example of you overcoming the odds? When I was at summer camp when I was uh, 13 years old, yeah. uh, a 15-year-old kissed me on the lips. What? Would 538.com have bet against that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I, I. I don't know exactly how to communicate like where I was socially at thirteen. But yeah. yes, they would have. Yeah, probably the time when I beat the odds the most was when I won a birth lottery and happened to be born in <laughs> yeah. a rich country. Yeah, to a stable mm-hmm. household. That was probably yeah. The that is biggest definitely beating the odds. But I guess also like I I beat the odds by managing to get viral meningitis. Mhm. You know, most yep. people don't do that in their lives. Yep, I beat the odds when it comes to ulcerative colitis myself. Yeah. Um but also my my doctor when I was first diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, he said, "Well, if you're going to get diagnosed with colitis, this is the kind you want." I so I it. also beat those odds. I love I love it when doctors say that. When they're like, poof, boy, I mean, you are so lucky that you got this kind of chronic disease. And I always want to be like, you know what would be luckier? I'm just going to throw this out there, doc. If I didn't have to see you every 12 weeks for the rest of my life. Well, I don't see that guy anymore at all. And in fact, I recently had a meeting with my new doctor. And he said, uh, as we were discussing my treatment regimen, just so you know, me and your other former doctor don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Mm. And I was like, holy monkey, okay, where are we go? I want, I want to know all the tea. Spill it, Mr. Doctor. <laughs> Can I just say how badly I want a YouTube channel that only like gets deep into doctor drama? <laughs> I mean, I think that's like a lot of different TV shows. Yeah, like I guess all so. of Grey's Anatomy is just doctor drama. Right, but com. I want to know about the doctors who hate each other and the doctors who are sabotaging the other doctors. And like, this yeah. doctor is selling hair vitamins, and this doctor <laughs> isn't. Or I don't, I don't really know. I, I haven't followed the What's hair vitamin on? thing that closely. I did watch one forty-seven <laughs> minute YouTube video about it. Did you really? I did. I mean, I, I didn't watch all of it, but I, I watched more of it than I'm <laughs> proud of. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, that puts you in a bucket with a lot of other people. This next question comes from Chloe, who asks, Dear Ang and John, whenever I make a new password, I'm usually advised to make one with a combination of capital letters, lowercase letters, numbers, and symbols. Does this actually make my password any more secure? Memento mori, Chloe. Uh, Chloe, 
The reason they do that isn't so much that it's more secure, though it is. So you're expanding the number of characters on the keyboard. If it's just lowercase letters, that's just 26 characters. If it's lowercase and uppercase, then that doubles it. If you include numbers and symbols, then that like is another. And like that just makes it. But these like brute force password hackers aren't going to guess a nice long all lowercase uh or even a random string of lowercase letters. What this is really doing is it's avoiding you using a word in all lowercase or a combination of two words or a slightly misspelled word. And those are the things that are really dangerous. So if you're using a lowercase password that is a word that's in the dictionary, that is very insecure. If you're using like a combination of two words, that's also insecure. What they're doing is forcing you to have something that isn't something that's easily found in a password dictionary. I recently talked to a friend about this and they had the best idea for a password I have ever heard in my entire life. So this is- Are you gonna ruin it by telling people? No, that's what's magical about it. Mm, So when they were a kid, they used to sing a song to themselves. Right. Like which we all do. Like I I still remember some of the lyrics to the songs that I sang when I when I was a kid. I had one about Haley's Comet. It was weird. Um, Well, you can't just say that. But it was kind of sweet. Remember the words. You have to tell me. Uh, The words are I just remembered Haley's Comet. I just remembered it alone up in the sky. I just remembered Haley's Comet. I just remembered that I'll die. But as a sweet, as a sweet melody, <laughs> I, and so I've been singing that song to myself since I was, I don't know, like eight years old or whatever. Oh I think I found is this like the root of the problem? Like, if we could take this song out of your head, would you be normal again? No, I don't think so. But I mean, I, I think like there's a reason I wrote the song when I when I wrote it. Anyway, it's a sweet little like song I sing to myself. So this person, they have a song like that, and what they did was they took the letters from the first, like the first letter from each word of the song's mm. lyrics, and then mm-hmm. they converted all of the Fs into fives instead of converting mm. them. Like, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you're 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 good. Like you, you're good. You are. You have a thirty-seven character password that has letters and numbers and special characters. This is incredible. But the truth of what you should do is you should not try to memorize all of your passwords and you should just use a password service because they're amazing. Yes, they are. And I really wish we had a sponsor to pitch you, uh, but we don't. But I personally use LastPass and it's great. And uh, I will say that one of my passwords, John, is a joke that you made in middle school that I can't tell anybody now because one of my passwords is based on it. I'm sure it was a great joke based on my middle school sense of humor. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about it sometime. All right, this next question comes from Jess, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was making tea, and my uncle told me that cold water boils faster than hot water, which Let seems... me just stop you right there. That's the end of the question, actually. Yeah. This is wrong. <laughs> I've heard it before, too. And when I heard it, I was like, Huh? And they were like, oh, no, it's science. And I was like, huh? But, yeah, no, it's just wrong. (laughs) It isn't that much different. But, yeah, you know, it seems wrong because of how it's wrong. Yeah, Sometimes we think, like, there's this thing where, like, a lot of what we hear, 
are like are the things that we're wrong about because that's the interesting story to tell. Like when we're design, like when we're doing sideshow pitches, like we're always looking for something that's like, oh, we like we understand this incorrectly because that's you know that gets people to click on it. it it's a way to bring people into education, right? Uh, and learning about a topic. And so we we use that crutch a lot at sideshow, but in the broader like community of you know, trying to make content that people will read. Yeah. Whether that's uh, in paper or on the internet. And so like a lot of what we read are these counterintuitive things and it makes us feel almost like counterintuitive is, is more likely than the intuitive thing. And so we like somebody can say this and you'd be like, Oh, okay. I accept because I keep hearing about all these other things that I'm wrong about. So I guess, sure. There's also another piece of this, which is that in some circumstances, hot water can freeze faster than cold water. And there are actual physical mechanisms. Why this is Uh, hot water is more convective. And so it moves around. And so more of the molecules get cooled off at a faster rate than like sort of having like the top layer get cold and the bottom layer stay warm, which slows down freezing. And so there's that thing. And this is only in very specific circumstances. Usually it's better just to put cold water into the freezer, but that thing, which you can write an article about and have it feel very counterintuitive and weird and get somebody to click on it. Then it's like, well, I guess if, if like hot water freezes colder then cold water must boil faster, but no, but no. No, it's just like no. you would think. The closer water is to boiling, the faster it boils. <laughs> yeah. All right. This next question comes from Ash, who writes, Dear John and Hank, how do I get people to remember who I am? I read that it takes three <laughs> interactions with people for them to remember you, but that doesn't seem to work for me. I'm shy, and people introduce themselves to me multiple times. Like, I once had a coworker introduce herself to me six times, and I had been to oh. her house twice. When I run <laughs> into people I know, they often get that blank look of confusion. How do I make enough of an impression on people so that they will remember me, and how do I handle this blank look of confusion? Not a pyromaniac, Ash. Uh, Ash, there's really only one solution to this problem, and you're not going to like it. Oh, God. What is it? You got to walk up to every single person you meet and say, Hi, I'm Ash. Rhymes with bash. Not Ashley. That's for Ashley. Uh, And just something, just that, say that every time, and people will be like, Well, I'm never going to forget Ash's name again. And also, I do not want to hang out with you. That's the thing, Hank. Ash is crushing it because they're not being remembered, right? Like, Everybody mm-hmm. you remember on first interaction, oh yeah, it was a bad interaction. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you gotta I, be, I, I think you're you thinking about this the wrong the way. I think that more. you should be celebrating the fact that like people think you're cool and you're able to engage in social situations in ways that they they don't they aren't bothered by you, they mm-hmm. aren't weirded out by you. I think you're crushing it. Or Hey, I'm Ash. I only pay with cash. And nope. then you can explain to people why, why it's more economically efficient to pay with cash. Don't do that. That's super annoying. But those are the same people who tell me to always carry four pennies with me so that I never whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I will remember you then, Ash, but it's not what you want. It's not what you want. I think with the blank look of confusion, you've just got to remember that like it takes a long time for people to get to know people. That's just reality. Hank, did I ever tell you about the time when I met um, Leslie Mann, the actor, twice in 45 seconds? Ooh. Okay. 
No. One time I went to the MTV Movie Awards and I met Maud Apatow there, who's a wonderful writer, and she said, this is my mom, Leslie Mann. And I was like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. It's really cool to meet you. And then I turned away and I got a drink and Sarah and I were talking and I was still talking to Maud Apatow and then her mom came back and I said, uh, oh, hey, it's really nice to meet you. And she said, we met 40 seconds ago. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, I mean, it's the MTV Movie Awards. I was stressed out. I was was anxious. I was anxious. I'm looking at pictures of Leslie Mann, and I have to say that she does look kind of like familiar. Just like a lot of folks probably look like that at the MTV Movie Awards. Yeah, yeah. I really like her movies. This is one of the things that I still feel bad about that like keeps me up at night. What can you do? Well, Ash, you just go, hi, I'm Ash. I'm really good at Smash, like Super Smash Brothers, but only N64 version. Nope. This next question comes from Van, who says, Dear Hank and John, I just spilt a Red Bull into a classmate's backpack. Mm -hmm. The classroom was rowdy and only my teacher saw. I mopped it up with some paper towels, but it stinks in his backpack and is still damp. What do I do? This is anything but fantastic. Van. See, Ash, that's what you gotta do. Stuff like that. I'll never forget about Van. Um, Yeah, pour Red Bull into your buddy's backpack (laughs) and say, sorry, that wasn't fantastic. And that's how people remember your name. So you got to stop drinking Red Bull, especially at school. Do they let children drink Red Bull? I guess they do. Man. Oh, my goodness. I think that the solution to this problem, and I think you and I are going to have different takes, Hank, is to deny all involvement. Have you? So have you? This is the this is what I, this is the thing that I would do. And it is not that I would uh, sort of like I, like the initial spill occurs. I I. Like immediately, I'm like, okay, no one can see that I did this, and I'll try to fix it. And then when I realize I can't fix it, yeah, I will like do it again to cover up the fact that I tried to cover it up. So here's what I would do, Van. You have to when your friend is looking, accidentally in air quotes, spill more Red Bull into their backpack. Then you could be like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. And then it just like plays out like a normal interaction instead of like the you, like because coming out and being like. I spilt Red Bull in your backpack and then tried to cover it up, but then I'm sorry, and it turns out I couldn't fix it, and it just smells like Red Bull in your bag. It's too weird for me. Lying about it is bad. Intentionally spilling a second Red Bull into the backpack is definitely worse. I can't say that you're wrong, but it's still what I would do. It's like it's like it's worse, but it's less awkward. Ugh. It's like less it hurts no, me less. No, what's what's less awkward is Van's mm. friend has a story for the rest of their life about how their backpack smelled like Red Bull one day. Yeah, like I had a so Red what? Bull explosion inside of my backpack, but it was impossible, and it impossible it just becomes. Red Bull. The impossible Red Bull story. It just becomes like kind of a miracle. But John, I don't. I just don't think that sounds very fantastic. Yeah, it's to not just fantastic. Just lie about it. All right, Hank, we have a question from Megan who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've been with my girlfriend for three months now, and it's going very well, except for the fact that being around her parents makes me want to cry. They don't love the fact that she's gay, so they don't love me, the object of her gayness. 
Well, I don't think that like you're the reason she's gay, Megan, but your point is taken. I haven't yeah. formally met them yet, but whenever they pull up in the car to pick her up or I walk her to the door and they answer, I can't help but think of how much they don't want me in their life and how they definitely hate me. And I really want to make a good impression, but I just get so scared and I can't look them in the eye. I've had three separate nightmares about meeting her mother, but we're in high school and live with our parents. I have to meet them at some point. What do I do? I just want to stop feeling bad. Best wishes, Megan. Sometimes the world is bad and you're going to feel bad. Yeah. I mean, this is a very, this is a bad situation to be in. Yeah. It's and also it, bad for your girlfriend. It's, I'm sure it's really mm-hmm. hard for your girlfriend to go, to go home sometimes too. And I know this is hard to internalize, I guess, but I, I do think that we have to have hope that people change. The way people are isn't always the way that people will always be. And so mm-hmm. you, your value as a person is not contingent upon what these people think about you. And I know that it can feel that way because they're grownups and you're not, but mm-hmm. they, they obviously have some, have some growing and changing to do that they're going to need to do. And I'm sorry that you have to be part of that. I'm sorry that you have to feel this and it's not fair it's not right but just by being yourself and just by being a a person who really cares about their daughter you know they may change and if they don't then you still know that you're a good person who really really loves this this young woman This next question comes from Lynn, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I know that you have in the past gotten some flack for answering emails relating to fasteners and their position, but I believe that this is a matter of great importance. Is a staple meant to be perpendicular, parallel, or diagonal to the top of a piece of paper? Mm. Look what the cat dragged Lynn. (laughs) That's a delightful one. You got there. (laughs) Hank, I have extremely strong opinions about this. You'll be surprised to learn. I mean, I have like a a pretty like sh- like regular way to do it. Like it depends on what how you're gonna be flipping the pages. So if it's a top corner staple, you should do it diagonal so that when you flip the page, it has like the maximum contact area with the paper. If you like do it vertical, then like it it's structurally weaker. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. But if you're doing two staples at the top and you're gonna flip up, then you do them horizontal. Yes. Well, as it happens, the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States released the following memo in July of 1963. Subject, (laughs) use of staples. One, the function of the paperclip is a temporary one. It is useful, but can be a menace, too. The clip has a way of attaching unrelated papers to a file. When papers are being mm. readied for filing, the clip should be removed and replaced by a staple. Two, when stapling papers together, be sure they are related and should be filed together. The, the memo goes on to say that papers should be stapled together with a diagonal staple and then says that some papers that are to be filed can be stapled straight across horizontally. And then one of my very favorite sentences in any CIA memo I've ever read, <laughs> little jobs done right produce bigger savings. Then there's number three. <laughs> Small office tools are inexpensive and each desk should have its own. Borrowing is a real time waster. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, of course, the person who wrote the memo about stapling believes that borrowing is a real time waster. <laughs> Little jobs done right produce big savings. It's true. It's true. Oh. Hank, do you have a favorite stapler? Because that's that's another place where I just have incredibly strong opinions. John, I got to say, I have a stapler and I know nothing about it. Oh, it my God. It staples things. Oh, my God. I probably have used 12 staples in the last 12 years. If you had a swing line, high capacity, 60 sheet capacity, reduced effort stapler, you would staple everything to everything. <laughs> it's a game changer. I typed in little jobs done right produce big savings to see if that was like a CIA slogan. It appears to not be. But Google does have some offers for how I can make $1,000 a month extra. Just by doing little jobs done right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we need to raise money for Partners in Health. So if you, if you want to do some of those jobs, I think I'd appreciate it. So there you go. The Central Intelligence Agency says diagonal, except sometimes horizontal, but never vertical. Which reminds me, John, that this podcast is brought to you by Little Jobs Done Right. <laughs> Little Jobs Done Right. They produce big savings. Today's podcast is also brought to you, of course, by Haley's Comet. Haley's Comet, I just remembered that I'll die. <laughs> so this podcast is brought to you by all that doctor drama. Oh, my. <laughs> And today's podcast is brought to you by statisticians. Statisticians, you don't have to be so defensive. Y'all are great. <laughs> we also have a Project for Awesome message to read from Isabella from Manchester by way of Poland. I just want to spread the P4A love a bit and tell everyone that dreams do come true. One day you're recording a P4A video and next year you're accepted to your dream PhD program researching YouTube. Also, shout out to Skemuweiss. My hometown in Poland. Good luck on pronouncing that. Well, don't you worry. I did a terrible job. And also my dad, Witold, who got this perk for me. Well, thank you very much, Dad. And I'm sorry about pronouncing both your hometown and your name incorrectly. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This next question comes from Lily, who asks, Dear Hank and John, is it possible to sneeze underwater? I've never done it. What would it feel like to sneeze underwater? Sneezes and cheeses, Lily. I love sneezing underwater, and I didn't really realize it until I read this question, but, like, I do it every chance I get, and I, it must be because I enjoy the sensation. What a weird hobby. 
Yeah, like I am looking back at my history being like whenever I'm like have a chance I would sneeze underwater. I grew up in Florida where there's lots of underwater and also lots of sneezing. Yeah. So I did it a lot. Yeah. I don't remember ever sneezing underwater, but I do remember swimming in that pool a lot. Like yeah. every day. Oh, yeah. We, oh, God. We were in that pool a lot. Dangerously. We did, we behaved in ways you should not behave around a pool. <laughs> yeah. No. Because we did not have great pool etiquette. Uh, one of my most vivid childhood memories actually is of you and I having a contest to see who could hold their breath at the bottom of the pool the longest (laughs) and dad diving into the pool fully clothed and ripping both of us up it's still like a traumatic memory for me I mean I'm sure it's way worse for dad but it was yeah yeah Oh man, I, I here's one of my vivid memories is trying to skate on the boogie board all the way across oh, the pool god. and jump out without getting wet. Oh my god, we what did a, that all the time. All the time. And like, what a way to die! Oh god, <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, we would we we would we would like basically surf on the boogie board and yeah. try to make it to the other side of the pool and then jump off the boogie board and land on the pool deck. It was it was a different yeah. time, you know. 1991. Here are the top three best things about sneezing underwater by Hank Green. One, when you do it, it's like this explosion of air comes out of you and you get to sort of like viscerally feel the like power of a sneeze, which you don't really get to feel when you're doing it above the water. But like the just the rapid exhalation of all this air from you really does. and And like it. The water then crashes back into your face, and that's just a nice sensation. Two, you don't have to cover your mouth because you're sneezing your germs directly into the pool water, which is chlorinated and will kill the germs, I guess, or whatever. Who cares? And finally, number three, if you do it with your face only partially submerged, then it makes a big splash around your face, and that's also fun but in a separate way. This is the BuzzFeed listicle I've been waiting for the whole time, (laughs) my whole life. This is it. We did it. I should it. have done a top ten list. I got, I, I got more. I'm sure. I'll work on it. I'll work on it later. Okay, Hank. Before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, there's a couple things I want to note. We got 20 billion emails about how you should have called a beer experience an experience, uh, <laughs> and it's true. Experience is much better than beer experience when you're talking about your experiences with beers. We also received 20 billion emails um, about how planets other than Earth definitely have their own days. Like Earth Day is not the only planet day. Monday is short for Moon Day. The moon is not a planet. That's neither here nor there. Saturday (laughs) is short for – it means Saturn Day. In Spanish, Tuesday is Martes, Mars Day. Mars also has an entire month named after it called March. There, there are also there are also in many languages lots of uh, days named after Jupiter and Venus. Basically, Earth is the only planet besides Uranus and Neptune that we only celebrate once a year. Uh, that that email was from Jay, and it was the least 
I would say angry of the ones we, we received. So I appreciate that. That's why I chose to read that one. And lastly, uh, Helen wrote in to say, Dear John and Hank, in a recent episode, John explained how he's always wanted to title a book More Light Than Heat because of the line from Hamlet. I'd like to thank you because as it turns out, More Light Than Heat is a great title for a Spotify playlist about a breakup. <laughs> it may not be a novel, but I really need this playlist right now. So I thought I'd let you know that the title is going to some good use somewhere. I even included a mountain goat song. You have to. You can't have a breakup playlist without the mountain goats. So you can search the playlist on Spotify if you want. Thanks for the inspiration, Helen. I listened to the playlist. It was quite good. It could have used some more mountain goats, but it was excellent. <laughs> it's my number one complaint about Spotify playlists. This next question, it comes from Oren, who asks, Dear John and Hank, what is the correct way to eat the bottom of a popsicle? I frequently reach the end mm. of one and either end up making a mess or not fully enjoying it due to my high stress level about not making a mess. Any advice appreciated? Popsicles and penguins, Oren. Mm. Great question. Mm. Was this your son uh, or a different Oren? Different Oren. Oren Green has never had a popsicle in his whole life yet. What? Is, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, man. I remember the first time Henry had a popsicle, and he didn't know the difference between cold and hot. So he just kept saying, hot, 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 hot. <laughs> That's cute. Oh, so yeah, cute. Yeah, Oren has uh, really likes candy, obviously. He's not had very much of it, but he, uh, at at Easter, he got all these little gummy candies in his eggs, and uh got very obsessed with them and now if we want to do something and he's being bad we just like gummy and it's all over he's the best boy recently <laughs> we were leaving him alone with my parents and he was very struggling and we were like as soon as nanny and papa come over we'll give you a gummy and they uh and they came over and we were like he was like bye bye mama bye bye dada bye 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 i was like wow Wow, okay, we have succeeded. He yeah. wants to get us out of this business so he can have that gummy. What were we talking about? Popsicles. Yeah. You just got to bite it, and right? Just put it in your mouth? Yeah, I think you have to bite one side and then very quickly bite the other side. So you want to minimize mm. the amount of Popsicle that's remaining because once you bite that one side, you're going to have a very, very small window in which to bite the other side. So you just got to be prepared and then you got to be dedicated and then you have to give it your all. It's like everything else. You know what it reminds me of, Hank? What? It reminds me of how small jobs done correctly can have big rewards. That's true. Have you ever, so I often will push with my fingers, push it up the popsicle stick so that I don't have to put the popsicle stick all the way in my mouth mm. and just sort of like shove it up as it's going. But then your fingers do get a little sticky. Yeah. I don't love um, that. I don't love that way. Or just put it into a cup and then let it melt and then have a great little soda for later on. I don't think that you know what soda is. Like a little, like a little, like a little ketchup packet worth of soda. It's like a Capri Sun. It's like a ketchup packet worth of Capri Sun. Right. Exactly. I think actually Capri Sun is just melted popsicles. <laughs> Capri Sun is definitely a soda. Uh, it's definitely not. John, definitely not a soda. I'm gonna, <laughs> the nice thing is that you're not on Twitter, so you don't know about my radical soda beliefs. Oh, God. Uh, oh, my God. I, I mean, <laughs> that, just just those words makes me overwhelmed with gratitude that I've left the social internet. What a nightmare. 
Okay, I have one last question that I want to ask you. It comes from Hope, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm grounded for the next two weeks for staying at my boyfriend's house overnight. I understand that consequences are part of breaking rules, even if I don't like the rule. However, I just turned 18 last month, and legally speaking, my parents can't keep me from going places. I like to think I'm a responsible person, and I think that two weeks without my phone, Wi-Fi, or going out is a bit excessive for a first offense, quotation marks. How do I get out of being grounded as a legal adult without ruining my relationship with my parents? Feeling like I've lost myself, hope. I probably felt a little bit differently on this issue when I was 18 than I feel now. <laughs> because now I'm like, as long as you live under this roof, you will abide by my rules. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that. But, like, I also feel very weird about an 18-year-old being deprived of Wi-Fi and their phone. Like, yeah. that is just normal life tools that does like that level that kind of grounding feels very weird to me as a punishment for an adult human being i i don't know and i think that I, that might be an argument that you can make to your parents that like i understand that like i like i need to i need to abide by the rules and that i did not in this case but but i do need the tools of being an adult human yeah i mean this is a tough one for me. I remember when Sarah and I were living together, but not married, but had been living together for, for quite a while. When we would go to her parents' house, we would sleep in separate bedrooms. Right, yeah. And I remember being like, well, this is ridiculous. We live in the same house. We have one bed. Like, There's no <laughs> ambiguity about what's going on here. I'm 27 years old. I mean, Catherine and I still sleep in separate beds at Catherine's parents' house, but only because the beds are very small. That's reasonable. But I also think that I had I, I, I wanted to be respectful of those people because I respected them and because I still respect them. And I, and, and, and I think you have to take that seriously. You mm. know, these are people who love you and who are trying to do their best by you. That said, like, it is to me an unrealistic expectation. This is the larger issue, right? It's partly about the grounding. It's partly about the larger expectation. It's not a realistic expectation to say that somebody who's 18 isn't, you know, going to sleep over sometimes with friends. Yeah, if so inclined. Yeah. If so inclined. Right. I mean, yeah. So that's maybe what I would say to my parents, but I don't know how that conversation would have gone. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I suspect that's the argument I would have made. I would have been yeah. like, I mean, let's be reasonable here. <laughs> I'm 18. Yeah. You know, when Romeo and Juliet were my age, they'd been dead for five years. <laughs> Okay, I want to do one more question. Okay, you just um, but the last question you said was the last question. But let's I keep know. going. I'm happy. <laughs> this one's from Julie. Okay. I forgot about it. It's who asked, dear Hank and John. I'm a graduate student who works at a clinic as part of my program. One of my professors and supervisors is hosting a cookout for the undergraduate students, graduate students, and professors. Uh, I invited my boyfriend because they said you could have a plus one uh, of seven months. He's gotten familiar with my cohort um, at school. 
Yesterday, I revisited the Excel spreadsheet to view the lawn games brackets. Mm, now I'm starting <laughs> to think that maybe there's a statistician. Uh, and written in three different places were the words spouses only. This was definitely written after I had initially signed up. Otherwise, I would not have invited him. Can we still go to the cookout despite not being spouses? Pumpkins and penguins, Julie. Yes. Now, John, I, I know what you're going to say. Yes. You're going to say... Just go get married. No, I'm not going to say. <laughs> Don't you want to play horseshoes <laughs> with your partner? Cohort? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say you go to the lawn games, you play the horseshoes, and if anybody even like blinks at that, you go <laughs> off. <laughs> you go off on the history of marriage, <laughs> the problematic ways that marriage has been used as a tool of oppression throughout history, and you say, this is my partner. I hope you like them. And if you don't, <laughs> then you will get over it because this is my partner. Yeah, it makes me think that this is not psychology because psychologists would never pull no, this. No, it it, you're right. Like it's, it's totally statisticians. Sta- <laughs> that, was a, that was a callback from our first question. I'm super proud of us for getting there. Yeah. Julie, Julie, email us to let us know if you're a statistician. Email us to let us know that you are a statistician. <laughs> Cohort, huh? It could be like med school. It could I feel be like med there's... school, but it's not med school. Although, no, nah, it's not med school. It's All right, we'll find out. It, I vote med school, John votes, and you can't take it back now. John votes statistician. The problem is there's a lot more med students than there are statisticians, and so now That's I'm thinking true. that statistically you're probably right. <laughs> All right, John, it's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Uh, is there? I don't know how news works after the season's oh, over. There's so much news, Hank. How will I get through it all? The the news just keeps coming. Well, the big thing that happens after the end of a season is that there is a list of players who are released from the club. And Mm. usually, you'll recall from past years, that list is all of the players. (laughs) (laughs) And especially the good ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. The better the player, the more likely they're on the list. This year, I'm pleased to say that a number of our best players have not been released. However, that's that a lot of our best players have been. I have mm. to pay a special tribute to Andy Barcham. I always said that if we had 11 Andy Barchams on the pitch, we would never lose a game. The guy is relentless. He just he just has no quit in him. I love the way he plays. I will desperately miss him playing uh, in left midfield for AFC Wimbledon. Also, Deji Oshilaja, our best player from last season, uh, is leaving the club. Tom Soares, longtime pro. Joe McDonald, backup goalkeeper. Alfie Egan, who uh, has been with Wimbledon since he was a kid, and and those are so those are important players. And then of course we've we've got uh, some players leaving. Those AFC. are players that are staying. Those are the players those who are players? leaving. Oh, those players are leaving. Okay, then, and then we've got the players who were on loan who are not coming mm. back, despite our fervent prayers. Most notably, twenty-one-year-old <laughs> goalkeeper, Wimbledon legend Aaron Ramsdale. Aaron Rambo Ramsdale uh, going back to Bournemouth. Steve Seddon, who was our 
marauding left back for the uh, second half of the season is uh, is not returning as well. But a bunch of players are returning, like Scott Wagstaff and Mitch Pinnock and Dylan Connolly and James Hansen and uh, the guy who scored the vast majority of our goals, Joe Piggott and Shane McLaughlin. And it's pretty good, actually, I think. I'm I'm happy. Yeah. We've got we we yeah, definitely just... have four or five needs including we don't have any goalkeepers and from what I understand in sports that is an important <laughs> important role. But I mean uh-huh. all things considered I am very happy. The the Good. big the big question mark is Will Nightingale who's played for Wimbledon since he was a little kid um and was captained the club and was hugely important in us staying up and he has been offered a new contract but he has not yet signed it. So hopefully mm. We will be able to convince Will. Will, if you're listening, I love you. I'll do whatever I have to do. Just make it happen. Just let me know what you need, and I will do it. All right. That's, that's <laughs> just a, as, as long as it's a signed letter opener, John's got it for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, sp- I'll, <laughs> I'll make my brother sponsor your training kit again. Yeah, I think I think I'm just sort of stepping in for Sarah here to temper any expectations. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, you know, Sarah is very supportive, but in a in the kind of measured way where yes. it's, you know, good to be reminded sometimes that one's primary uh philanthropic <laughs> responsibility is not to third-tier English football teams. John, the uh the Mars news from this week uh is the winner of the NASA Centennial Architecture Challenge, which is a challenge to get different design firms to submit ideas for habitats that would and could exist on Mars. And uh, and the one that was selected is from AI Space Factory. That's right, you heard that correctly. If there was ever a cooler name wow. for a company, I don't know what it would be. But AI Space Factory is designed a uh, multi-story, vertical, cylindrical, 3D-printed Mars habitat that looks very cool. And there's also like a five-minute video where you get introduced to this thing, which is called the Marsha. Uh, and the Marsha is has like so many different weird, cool abilities. Uh, one is that because of the difference in temperature in day and night, any structure on Mars will need to be able to flex. And so it actually has bearings that allow it to uh, move around a little bit as this, as like it cools off at night and heats up in the day. Also, a thing that you don't think about when it comes to habitats on Mars is the upward pressure of a, um, of a, a pressurized space. So on the downside, like on the bottom of the of the structure, you can't go down. So like uh, there, you basically have this giant like pressurized vessel, and on the bottom, there's nothing like there's nothing it can expand into. So you have this always this pressure that wants to push the structure off of the ground, like a, like a you know a Diet Coke and Mentos rocket. Uh, and so you need to clamp the things down to the ground. So part of the entire process is you have to 3D print a foundation that you can then clamp it onto that it will not like blast off from. And then one of the great things about having a big cylindrical design is you can have they they as part of this designed a 3D printer that would uh, be able to like without moving like clamp itself to the ground and then 3D print the entire structure 
which includes an outside wall that is like the actual thing that contains the pressure and includes the inside wall, which is sort of more aesthetically pleasing and easier to maintain. Uh, and then at the cap of it, there is a giant water-filled lens. This is very cool. That the sunlight can go through and then that lens disperses the sunlight through like between those two walls, which makes the entire habitat without having very many big windows have natural circadian light coming through it all of the time. Yeah. That's cool. Because I think that one of the big issues on Mars would be how much time you're going to have to spend on the inside of that thing. Yeah, you're going to spend so much time inside of stuff. You're basically like, what you're really doing is you're like moving onto the International Space Station for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be really, really helpful to have a little bit of the light and dark of home. Yes. That's a great idea. And it's just, it's also such a, uh, like, you're going to spend so much time indoors and, like, the outdoors time will be extremely stressful, hard work. And so you do, you kind of need a place where you can relax and actually feel comfortable. Yeah. So these uh, these structures look very cool and very different from the sort of traditional... idea of what Mars habitats might look like. And uh, and they are also, they have d- did a test that they could actually 3D print with materials that are found on Mars. That was going to be my question. So you can, can, so this stuff will be made out of Mars. It's made out of Mars. It's made out of Mars and some other stuff. So they're, I think that they're used some like plant fibers uh, as part of it that would either have to be imported or grown on, on the planet. Yeah, to, just to be clear, when you say imported, you mean from Earth. <laughs> yeah, there's not really anywhere else you can import from on Mars. Just like <laughs> not the next town over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's very bad. I just. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm looking at it. It's really cool. It looks, you know what it looks like? Um, it looks to me like a grain silo. Yeah, it's sort of grain silo-y. It turns out that because you have to contain pressure, like making a circle is much better right. than making squares where there's like lots of pressure points and rippy points. Right. Um, so in the same way that like uh, a pressurized beverage container is good in a cylindrical form, that's it's kind of the same idea. Like it's the best way to contain volume that is pressurized. I love the idea that in like a thousand years, people on Mars will assume that round rooms are normal. In the same way mm-hmm. that we assume that rectangular mm-hmm. rooms are normal. Yeah, and they'll hear like ab- about like Americans and talking about the Oval Office and being like, aren't all offices Right. <laughs> yeah, doesn't that go What's without that? saying? <laughs> 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 Why not just call it the office? <laughs> yeah, and then like the president of Mars is, has a square office. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know she's special. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for potting with me, Hank. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, You can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We really appreciate all your emails, even the ones that are correcting us in extremely pedantic but loving ways. (laughs) This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Halls-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're listening to now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.